everybody. You are listening to Rising from the Ashes Sunday Slow Burn. We're burning it slow and low today, going in on some wizards in history, magical people of the past. This is a pre recorded live stream live on Sunday, every Sunday. Go ahead and check it out on our YouTube channel. The link will be in the description. And make sure to join in next Sunday for a Sunday solo. natural latency you know there's extra little extra snug snug room in the glove in the rubber gloves use the be. extra sensory perception yes we'll know if you're on delay or not we'll feel it oh well, you guys are all on delay for me check check one two hey, hey how's everyone going what's Hello. happening but what's up nomad not much, man. How am I sounding? Sound okay? You could be a little louder. Is that sound better? Sound check, sound check. Yeah. Here we check. go. One, two, check. Yeah, chickity, good. Chickity. Awesome, thank you. Um, okay, so, hey, hello. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sunday Slow Burn, Rising from the Ashes. Um don't know how many this is i think this is number seven uh number seven or eight which is which is fitting either way um and today we have fall thread follow the road down to talk about wizards in history and i know i know i got some stuff prepared on 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 brother solomon i know dan's got an entire list of 100 plus humans to go through so we have some magical workings to get cracking on and, and some people to get talking about but before we do that let's uh, introduce uh some of the some of the people that uh, are new in this s- slow burn and we got alan marcus what's happening brother alanmarcus.com it's a real web page check it out <laughs> beautiful and we got with us that's new also nomad what's happening with you man welcome hey good to be here with everybody uh if anyone wants to reach out you can reach out at nomad.art and yeah excited to get talking excellent cool beans and the homie the brother uh, andy sage andy glad to be here y'all excited to talk about some wizardry today yeah yes and danny boy how are you sir Hola, how's it going? I'm all, hey, uh, hey. Energized up, magicked up. Magicked up, dude. There you go. There you go. Well, um, I know uh the title for this episode is um famous wizards throughout history and then emphasizing ancient druids in ancient Ireland and king solomon mm-hmm. I, I know we'll probably get into other regions of the world um as well i have a book of idris uh one of my favorite authors sufi author idris shah 
um, who has an entire book on oriental magic. It's amazing. And I will read a surf out of it later. Mm -hmm. um, so we might even, we might get into some ancient orient stuff as well. But, you know, uh, <clears throat> I, I got completely enthralled uh, by to the Solomonic magic. And it started actually a few weeks ago um, when Nomad here invited me onto his podcast and to talk about architecture. And, you know, he's just like an antiquated transhumanism and the royal houses and things and that research that I've been doing. And he was like, what does, does the key, uh, does the ring of Solomon tie into this at all? And I was just like, <laughs> I was, I was swept because I was absolutely it does. And it actually encapsulates a lot of, um, the, the work that I've been doing with antiquated transhumanism with the scepter, the globus cruiser, the crown and all things are like different versions physical versions of like the pentacles of solomon and things like that so i've been just going deep going hard on on as much research on that specific realm of things as i as i have uh as as i could um going as hard as on that as possible and i want to get into that but i wanted to start it off with um with indy because i know he was talking about the ancient druid is it to kind of start today's chat so Andy, do you want to start with the research? Yes, sir. Let's do this. I'm excited. I got some research on uh, some other stuff we're going to go into a little about alchemical magic and some Enochian magic. But uh, we could start off with some Druidic magic. I've done some research. Uh, we uh, we weren't meeting last week, so I got to do a little extra research on, on Merlin and the history of Merlin. And uh, a lot of people are familiar with the tale of Avalon and King Arthur. And um, mm -hmm. that place is known as the the Sacred Isle of the Apples. Mystical place, mm -hmm. mystical land. But uh, I've been tracing back the, the myth of, of Merlin, and it goes back to uh, two different um, bards or druidic magicians, one of which is named Merdin, Wilt, Wilt Merlin Wilt, the second of which is named... Emrys, and so these were the older names of Merlin, Emrys, and Merdin. So, before I go into that, I wanted to do a little bit of etymology on the word wizard, um, which comes from the Old English, where the stories of Avalon and King Arthur and Merlin came from. Um, the word wis, W-Y-S was the old Middle English word for wisdom or wise man. So it was actually mm -hmm. for wisdom. And then um, the, the suffix of um, wizard uh, comes from a, a Indo-European suffix, which just means man. So wise man, wizard, <laughs> ties it all in right there. Yep. Now, according to this account, we're, we're going back to the story where the account of Merlin begins um, in literature that we've been able to find over the ages. So the story ties back to Ambrosius Arenalius, which is the story through which we find the tale of Merlin in its oldest age in uh, the literature. Now, sometimes that name is, is uh, changed around as 
his mention went on in later times. And uh, he was also referred to as Ambrosius Merlinus. And sometimes they switch oh, his name. Okay. Aurelius Ambrosius. They sometimes flip the first and last names. So his figure like initiate, is actually initiatory combined. names there. Yeah, his his figure is actually combined with his bard um, to create the myth of Merlin, which combines the myth of his the bard and of this general, who turns out to be. Uh, let's see. As we go into it, we'll see his relation to King Arthur, his brother Uther. So, according to the count of Gildas, uh, which I've been looking through a bunch of these accounts that come around different times. Let's see when Gildas wrote his account here. Gildas. Uh, this account comes from a time. Let's see here. Writing around 540 AD, this older account comes in from. Now, according to his account, um, and this is this is brother uh, Aurelius that you, that that wrote this text in 548. This is uh, the author's name Gildas, but it's a it's an account of Ar uh, Ambrosius, Aurelius, the original name, in its full length. So. According to this, this story, uh, uh, Ambrosius was orphaned as one of the last of the Romans to survive the attack of the Saxons and Normans, during which his parents were slain, and he was left to become a fierce warrior at a young age, who would eventually intimidate Vortigem, the warlord, who was said to live in fear of him. So he was there with the Roman um, occupation, and trying to take over England and I guess Vortigem was the local warlord that they're going up against to try to occupy this area. So we have a later account of Nennius which says the most significant appearance of Ambrosius is the story about Ambrosius, Vortigem, and the two dragons beneath Dennis Emrys, the fortress of Ambrosius. And Emrys being the older name of Merlin as well. It's Dennis meaning the Tower of Merlin. Uh, Dennis Emrys. So in this account, Ambrosius is still an adolescent, but, but has supernatural powers. Now he intimidates Vortigern uh, and the royal magicians when it's revealed that Ambrosius is the son of the Roman consul Vortigern. Vortigern is convinced to cede to the younger man the castle of the Dennis Emrys and all the kingdoms of the western part of Britain. Vortigern then retreats to the north in an area called Gwynesi. This story was later retold with more detail by Geoffrey Monmouth in his fictionalized Historia Regum Britannia, conflating the personage of Ambrosius with the Welsh tradition of Merdin the visionary. Known for oracular utterances that foretold the coming victories of the native Celtic inhabitants of Britain over the Saxons and the Normans, 
Jeffrey also introduces him into the Historia under the name Aurelius Ambrosius as one of the three sons of Constantine III, along with Constans and Uther Pendragon. In a later account by William of Malmesbury, on the death of Vortimer, the strength of the Britons grew faint, their diminished hopes went backwards, and straightway they would have come to ruin had not Ambrosius, the sole survivor of the Romans, who was monarch to the realm of Vortigern, repressed overweening barbarians through the distinguished achievements of the warlike Arthur, his most prominent general. So there's a strong connection between Ambrosius and Arthur, as well as his brother Uther. So as we go along, we'll see more about that. In the account of Geoffrey of Monmouth, Ambrosius Aurelius appears in a later pseudo-chronicle tradition, beginning with Geoffrey of Monmouth's Historia Regum Britannia, with the slightly garbled name Aurelius Ambrosius. Now presented as the son of King Constantine, the eldest son of Constance is murdered at Vortigern's instigation, and the two remaining sons, Ambrosius and Uther, still very young, are quickly hustled into exile in Brittany. This does not fit with Gildas's account, in which Ambrosius's family is perished in the turmoil of the Saxon uprising. Later, the two brothers return from exile with a large army of Vortigern's power, which has faded. They destroyed Vortigern and became friends with Merlin, and Ambrosius becomes king of Britain. However, he is poisoned by his enemies, Eopa and his brother. Uther succeeds him. Geoffrey retains the story of Emrys and the dragons from Nennius, but identifies with the figure Merlin. Merlin is Geoffrey's version of a historical figure known as Merdin Wilt. Merdin is only mentioned once in the Annales Cambriae. The name Merlin is given in Latin as Ambrosius Merlinus. Merlinus have, may have been intended as the agnomen of a Roman and Romano-British individual like Ambrosius. Elements of Ambrosius Arvanelius, the traditional warrior king, are used by Geoffrey for other characters. Ambrosius' supposed supernatural powers are passed to Merlin, and Geoffrey Aurelius Ambrosius um, rises to the throne but dies early, passing the throne to a previous unknown brother called Uther Pendragon. The role of the warrior king is shared by Uther and his son Arthur. So I think prior to this, um, he may not have actually died. That was maybe fictionalized for the story. But um, we see that there's definitely a, a combination between Ambrosius and Merlin, sometimes Merlin being given a persona that's kind of splintered off of Ambrosius. And so it's not explicitly covered in Geoffrey's narrative, but the genealogy makes Constantine and his children the descendants of Conan Mariadoc, legendary founder of the lines of kings of Brittany. Conan is also featured as the Historia Regum Britannia, where he is appointed a king by the Roman Emperor Magnus Maximus, reigned eighteen, uh, reigned three eighty three to three eighty eight. To give you a time frame of when this was what, what a wonderful name! 
Magnus Maximus, the 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 ultimate uh, Magus. Wow, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so Constantine's, uh, Constantine's reign is placed uh, by Geoffrey as following the groans of the Britons mentioned by the by Gildas. Constantine is reportedly killed uh, by a Pict in his region and followed by a brief succession crisis. Uh, the Picts are fascinating. Candidates for the throne included mm -hmm. all three Constantine, but there were problems for the eventual rise to the throne. Constantine was a monk, Ambrosius and Uther were underage and still in their cradle. The crisis is resolved when Vortigan places Constance on the throne and then serves as the chief advisor, the power behind the throne. When Constance is killed by the Picts, soon after serving as bodyguards for Vertigern, uh, Vertigern feigns anguish and has the killers executed. Ambrosius is still underage and Vortigern rises to the throne. So it's at this point where we have Ambrosius um, and Arthur, is it Uther? Uther, the father of Arthur, are kind of neck and neck to fall into the airship after this. They're going to see who's going to take the throne. Mm. Um, now, Jeffrey, in the last chapters featuring Vortigern, has the king served by magicians. Uh, this detail derives from Nennius. Though Nennius was talking about Vortigern's wise men, they may not have been magic users, but advisors. Vortigern's encounter with Emrys, also known as Merlin, takes place in this part of the narrative. Merlin warns Vortigern that Ambrosius and Uther have already sailed for Britain and are soon to arrive, apparently to claim his throne. Ambrosius soon arrives at the head of the army uh, and is crowned king. He besieges Vortigern at the castle of Gnoru, which is identified with Nennius, Kerkorthigern, uh, Fort Vortigern, and the hill fort at Little Doward. Ambrosius burns the castle down, and Vortigern dies with it. Following his victories at the end of the wars, Ambrosius organizes the burial of the killed nobles at Kirkaraduk, and uh, Geoffrey identifies this otherwise unknown location with Kirkaraduk Salisbury. Um, Ambrosius wants a permanent memorial for the slain and, and assigns the task to Merlin. The result of the so-called Giant's Ring, uh, it, which is located in the vicinity of Salisbury, has led to its identification with Stonehenge. Though Geoffrey never uses that term, Stonehenge is closer to Amesbury than Salisbury. The ring formation of the monument could equally apply to Avebury, the largest stone circle in Europe. So it does actually tie back to some historical locations in England. Revolving around Stonehenge. Ooh. So this, yeah, know, I mean, that, might... that would make a lot of sense. A lot of sense to me, or uh, if that these the sacred sites were, you know, I, I mean, obviously, I think I think we can all agree to that that their secret sites were sacred sites were secret for the magic and the magical happenings and the energies and the sounds and the resonance of the music and the reverberations and everything. Ooh, awesome. giving me chills. Yeah. Think about that it's fascinating a lot of people don't think when they've heard the story of king arthur that arthur is the nephew of the wise wizard merlin also known as ambrosius but yeah it turns out that uther was the father of arthur 
And uh, I think, according to the tale, Uther ends up taking the throne after Ambrosius is killed and kind of has becomes fallen and corrupted by his power. And then it's up to Arthur to take that uh, power back and bring in the round table and bring back um, an egalitarian civilization for them because it was being under, like, tyrannical regime and it was needed to be um, you know, liberated by Arthur later with the help of his uncle. But... And this is all about Ambrosius Aurelianus, which has a really great name. You know, Ambrosia being mm-hmm. the food of the gods, and Aurelia from like Aurelia or Aurelius meaning golden. So you have this golden food of the gods, which is this wizard confidence, and he just walks up to you and says, you know, eat me. Come on. Let's go. Because he's a warlord. Mm. Absolutely. And Ambro- Ambrosia mm. is also known as a sacred herb. Um, that was thought to have been used to make soma in ancient India. That allows people to live for a very long time, according to legends. I believe it. That's uh, you know, uh, could potentially be the for stone or you know one of these, uh, one of the one of the magical workings that it's kept secret for so long. You know, <clears throat> the ambrosia. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I got a couple more things on Merlin. And uh, let me dig these up here. I got some stuff on some druidic magical spells that we can go over a couple of things. Let me see here. Um, And so these legends of um, Merlin also, although they do tie back to a Roman general uh, who had magical powers, um, also tie back to Emrys and Merdin Wilt. so those are druidic uh, bards or magicians or wizards. And uh, some of, we can go into a little bit of the basics on, on druidism. We're going to go into it a little bit deeper later on with uh, Tuatha de Danan. But um, I have here that uh, trees and the word druid, uh, some modern scholars agree with the classical Roman and Greek authors that they most likely have come from the derivation druid is from the oak which uh, combined with the Indo-European root word wid, um, giving the translation of the word druid, one with knowledge of the oak, a wise person of the oak. And uh, let's see. Some notes on that as well. And the oak has, uh, I, I can't quite, put my finger on it but there's an association between oak and and like serpent symbolism um that I, before in in research and i'm not sure if it was um like it's made in uh, and casted in bronze or something but if anybody has any any tie on that that'd be interesting uh Absolutely. Uh, on the on the, on the cross correlation of the oak symbolism there. So, but they actually had an entire alphabet, kind of like the runic alphabet, and each of their symbols represented a different tree. So they worshipped trees in general, but they held oak the highest, um, saying that oak was heaven sent. And they had many rituals with the oak tree, where they would gather the acorns with some implements made of gold. And uh, there's a lot of symbology of their culture and their attire that they would wear, uh, referring to the oak tree. 
Um, and so mm-hmm. they, uh, they also have a winter um, tradition with a sacred tree, the yew tree, which is then later made into the maypole after being used as what we use as Christmas trees today. And they would tie onto it bells and um, candles. Uh, and if the uh, bells would ring, they would know that the spirits of the forest are blessing their tree in their home. So that's one of the traditions with the yew tree, which is an evergreen. Now, the Celtic people considered the oak tree to be a symbol of wisdom and knowledge. And uh, ancient Roman scholar and philosopher Pliny the Elder put it, the Druids regarded the oak tree as sacred, believing it was sent from heaven. Uh, several Native American tribes regard the tree as sacred as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, Druid um, actually comes from the Greek word for oak, Drus. Um, which later became the word for wise. Um, I know when walking into an oak forest, you have the. Oh, the word for what's a hey, Ben Mulder said, What's happening, baby? He's got his chain on his hand, dude. Look at this guy. What's up, Romy? Um, what's, yeah, that's what I'm in here. I'm in here uh, servicing my chainsaw in between. Uh, and I was checking out the, these two big ass studs, and then I see Alan Marcus on there. Man, what a what a crew! And then in the stage, that's a crew Planning right to cut there. down some cherry uh, trees today, some oak trees. So the words, some, oh, the, the yeah, word you know, uh, comes uh, from the word. In Damn. some, uh, in some of the northern European countries, it was actually illegal to cut down an oak. Um, but as far as the oak and the snake uh, tie in, so the oak uh, is Donar's tree um, or Tor's tree. Uh, very, very uh, uh, sacred to heathen people. And in fact, there was an entire uprising uh, because uh, there was a monk that cut down Thor's tree, literally Donar's tree, and because he was trying to convert the heathen people, and that got his head cut off for him. You know, it didn't pan out quite what he, quite what he expected. But uh, at the end, Donar or Thor's uh, uh, greatest enemy, the one that kills him, is uh, Jormungandr, the snake that, uh, for whatever reason, Thor um, is symbolized by the oak, and then his uh, arch nemesis is the the great snake. <laughs> Man, that's so cool. It's really interesting how the Norse mythology really ties in with the Celtic mythology. There's definitely a strong connection there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, um, the, was talking to somebody the other day and I can't, I can't remember, unfortunately, but it was some, some like folklore that was tying into what Dr. Seuss was ripping off of when he created the Lorax. And, um, that there's specific, you know, entities that uh, elementals, as Manly P. Hall would call them, that that actually have, have strong correspondence with trees. And we know that, you know, of course, the the, the oak tree, like he's bringing up, is fascinatingly connected to magical realm. Um, and I'm have some suspicion that it has something to do with, um, I don't know, like electromagnetic energy or something that connects to sacred sites. Um, and and like temple building or something along those lines but the um i do know that there's that specific lichen called uh usnia or some people wizard's beard 
um, grows very heavily on oak trees. And that is kind of weird because there's the, the, the skull moss, like when a person's uh, skull is preserved, this this usnea moss that will grow on the inside of the skull um, that also is the same lichen or the same fungus that grows on the oak branches. And, is that this you know, old man's beard? Yes, yes, that same, okay. that same cool. thing. And it grows that? very, very slow. And um, which I think we actually brought up Usnia uh, on the last slow, slow burn. Um, and while you were chatting, I, mm-hmm. I found the god or the dryad, which is like a tree nymph, and yeah. to also have live. But that mm-hmm. also sounds a lot like druid, you know. <laughs> so I was it like, does. oh, that's kind of cool. It's kind of fun. I actually, ha- I actually do have this article right here in this uh, book of the druids, and I had that that spot bookmarked. Uh, I think it was that one or something close to it. Uh, but it, it talks about how the, the, the name Druid, uh, is related to Dryad and, um, how it's related to the Oak. Uh, I can read it if you want. It says, uh, the name Druid. We may now turn to the information conveyed by the sources in greater detail and first consider the name of the priesthood itself. In the classical text, it only appears in plural forms, Juide in Greek and Juide or Juidis in Latin. Aberrant forms like Drasade or Drysade uh, must result from scribal errors and corruptions in the manuscripts. But Lucan's Dryade look as though they have been influenced by the same of the Greek water and tree nymphs, dryads in Latin, the forms of uh, the forms presuppose a Gaulish uh, Druvis from Druvids, but as we have seen, the word does not actually occur in any Roman Celtic inscription. In Old Irish, uh, the word is Druid, uh, plural Druid. There has been much discussion as to the probable etymology of the name. And current opinion tends to occur with those ancient scholars such as Pliny, who regarded it as related to the Greek word for an oak tree, drus, D-R-U-S. The second syllable is regarded as cognate with the Indo-European root wid, to know uh, relationships with such a tree would be appropriate enough to a religion with sanctuaries in the deciduous mixed oak forest of temperate Europe. And we shall see how specific association with the oak tree is attested. The name of the Galatian sanctuary in Asia Minor, recorded by Strabo, Drunametan, appears to contain the same first element combined with the Gaulish sanctuary word uh, Nemetan, discussed in the last chapter. So, as we can see, there is a direct connection between Dryad and Druid. And I think with the oak tree, uh, if we go to like Bach Saga a little bit, they said that they burned the bodies and they would take the sack and the ashes and put it into the tree and that became your family tree. I think in many ways that they were probably using these trees as uh, kind of monument graveyards. They're, They're burying their ashes into the tree, then that family tree would grow up. 
So instead of going to a graveyard of dead, you'd have all these live trees that represented your family. And that's why they went through and tried to destroy these trees. And that's why mm -hmm. uh, that guy got his head chopped off for trying to fuck with an oak tree because it has family relevance to the people. That's, yeah. that's well, super, and, and, super and heathens are actually, uh Heathens are actually, according to our cosmology, we're made from trees. Uh, you know, uh, yes. man was yes. made from the ash tree and woman was mm -hmm. made from the elm tree. So that when they say that, when you look at a tree, the basic components, the, the, not the salt and the oil, but the earth components, the, the cellulose, the, 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 uh, cellular material, the carbon and the water, it's the same as our body. So bait, and that's just the host material, the host thing for our salt and oil and that he used the same material that's made from a tree and then we put our bodies back into trees and there's actually theories mm -hmm. that part of mm -hmm. the reason that like so many trees are hollow on the inside now is because we lock up our bodies instead of feeding them back to trees in a symbiosis Ooh. and it's hermetic mm -hmm. i like that you brought up the uh the, the hermes tree because the oak is cross-correlated with Hermes tree as well, even though the ash tree is more commonly associated with Hermes and the Hermes tree, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it is the ash tree, but I've heard in accounts, the Oak and, um, you know, trees themselves play the perfect hermetic, uh, laws as above, so below. And the way that like most plants, especially cannabis speaking, obviously from experience is, as far as the root base is wide surface area, the, the limbs on the, on the plant itself will go. So if you have a six foot and you have soil for six feet, then the limbs up top will grow. So it's, it's matching the roots on the bottom. Are you telling me that if you want to reach to heaven, that your roots need to reach to hell? Is that what you're telling me, Romy? I, I, I'm just speaking the hermetic laws, baby. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But yes, <laughs> I think the heathens I embody that completely in their in their stories, and there's no hiding that, you know. And the uh, and you know the riding that eight eight legged horse, that Merkabah, all the way um, spiritually, physically, and metaphysically, all celestially, all, all those beautiful things. Yeah, that's so interesting. Story. The black horse, yeah, uh, the black eight-legged horse. Yes, eight-legged horse. Wow. I've actually seen uh, pictures, like I've actually seen pictures like that, where like everybody thinks that uh, Schleppner would look like this, and it shows this like great steed, and what, and that's like when he he would really look like this, and it was like a horse with spider legs, like. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Wild. Love I got a little it. bit more on the oak tree. Just a quick blurb here. Yes, let's go. Have, let's let's dig in. Cool. The Druids have long revered the oak tree as a symbol of strength, stability, and endurance. The oak is a sacred tree to the Druidic tradition and is often associated with the Celtic god Dagda. In Druidic mythical, the oak is said to be the first tree to grow in the world and is considered the king of all trees. The Druidic name for the oak is Duir, which means door or entrance. This is because the mm. oak gateway between worlds of the living and the dead. The Druidic year is also divided into two halves, with the winter half being represented by the oak and the summer half being represented by the holly. 
Yes. So what do we think made it the gateway? Why that tree? We were talking about earlier when they take the ashes of the elders and put them in under the tree, and they get reborn into the tree. The tree takes on their their soul or their spirit. I think they might be somewhat referring to that. And I know they use that in the ancient Finnish and Norwegian and uh, Swedish. It's kind of you know, where in- I think it. Uh, I think that's how we get the idea of uh, imp. Uh, the, the tree spirits and how they get animized is because they carry the souls of the ancestors. Hmm. So was it the specific, it was the specific oak tree that uh, they used for that ceremony? Do we have any idea why they chose that tree for the ceremony? Well, they have tannin, which is a component of the oak wood. is released into the wine over time, and they use that for flavor and aroma during their ceremonies. Hmm. Interesting. People don't realize it, but uh, in Native American uh, smoke ceremonies also, uh, everybody knows that there's tobacco in there, but there's also wood chips and uh, some other things that is mixed in there. But wood chips mm. is actually a large por- is a portion of the mixture. That's yeah. good insight. Yeah, because I wonder, I feel like there's got to be some specific uh, reason, right? Like our ancestors didn't do things for no reason. So, yeah, perhaps there was some chemical they, component that allowed them to navigate the spiritual world or something. And there's, I mean, even if we uh, have like remnants of recipes or, you know, like one missing ingredient or one missing very important part to doing a magical incantation or a spell is going to just keep us separate and not be able to tap right in so yeah right. it's, a, it's a great insight. well yes, yeah. and the even oak, if you have the actual component does the component have the uh what it needs inside of it because we mm-hmm. all talk about oh, how go. food has no nutrient density to it well if there's no nutrient density to it it's missing components that belong in that food that has to apply right. magically also that part of the in my opinion magic is just electrical transactions that people can't mm-hmm. see and understand and if the salts aren't there or if the oil isn't there that electrical transactions yeah. not happening so this food that is nutrient lack or nutrient mm-hmm. you know has a new nutrient uh, deficient it also would not be magically viable either as far as i'm concerned hmm yeah yeah uh the vikings too the reason why they why they burn their bodies is because uh the the smoke would take their spirit or their essence up to the sky Mm -hmm. so there might be a component in that of in the magic also as as releasing that energy up into the heavens so cool wanted to uh read this just because the dagda character is really interesting and we're gonna on the on the main mainstream show on the rfta we're going to the um ancient uh, irish history um and so this is the really cool character just wanted to read this really quick because it it, it ties in and uh and this guy's cool so uh and he's also known as the horseman or the or the dawn the dagda dawn which is fucking super super ba bot us uh here we are tales depict the dagda as a figure of immense power he is said to own a magical staff club or mace which could kill nine men with one blow but with a handle he could return the slain to life that's 
definitely hermetic indeed it was called the lorg more the great staff club or mace or the lorg and fade the stuff the staff club mace of wrath his magic cauldron was also known as the core and seek the undry cauldron Ooh, and was said to be bottomless that's definitely an alchemical reference from which no man was left unsatisfied it was said that he would have a ladle so big that two people could fit in it. Uaithni, uh, also known as the four-angeled music, which was a richly ornamented magic harp made of oak, when the Dagda bit put the seasons in the correct order. Well, that's the four horsemen for you right there, if he's the, he's the horse all-father. Other accounts tell it of being used to command the order of battle, who possessed two pigs one of which was always growing whilst the other was always roasting and even laden fruit trees. Oh, and ever laden fruit trees. He also described as being as the owner of a black maned heifer that was said to give him, uh, give to him for his labors prior to the second battle of Moitura, when the heifer calls her calf and the cattle of Ireland taken from the Fomorians as a tribute gray as a tribute graze. Wow, yeah, Dagda is, Dagda is all the things. Black, it sounds... Did you see black mane? Black mane heifer? Um, it just Gavis says... E? Mm -hmm. That's a mane. Yeah, yeah, it's black mane, M-A-N-E, yeah, black maned heifer. That's very interesting. I mean, obviously, you, you think of a horse with a mane where the back of the neck has, like, a, a, a line of hair that lays over... Uh, that's not something cows usually display. That's a very specific type of cow. That's super interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, the bull. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, like this episode isn't about bull worship, uh, you know, or a sacred bull, because that obviously should be an entire episode on its own. But it is incredibly, incredibly important uh, and this I, I hadn't looked up Dagda. Like this, this is great. So um I love, uh, it's a lot to unspill here. Look at that. You got Merlin. Dude, there is a lot you, with, you. with Dagda. <laughs> this this name Dagda coming from words that mean like good God or shining God, shining to burn. There's this divinity here. Now let's make it clear when he's a good god that doesn't mean he's morally good that just means he's a really good god like he's the best god he's the god above god he's the most goodest the best supreme being in this uh this um thinking of the tuatha de Dedan, right so he has all these ideas and he has children too so like a son named nuada and a daughter named bridget does anybody know who Bridget is? Mm -hmm. Saint Bridget's Day. Yeah. She's a very significant figure in mm -hmm. Irish mythology. Dogda. Yeah, Bridget. Dude, yes. Uh, and I know Ra Rachel was in the chats earlier. I remember when we were did we did our ancient Norse month not too long ago. We were like, oh, uh, you know, wanted to do a ruins episode. We're like, let's get Rachel on. Rachel and Ben. And uh, she was like, no, I'm over the Norse stuff. I'm into the Irish Irish history now. <laughs> but uh, I know Rachel's you know, it's God. <laughs> I wasn't saying that. Uh, hey, he said it. I did not say that. Rachel, listen, okay? Yeah, I know you and Ben are a lot closer. I'd never say something like that. But, you know, it, it might have hurt Dan's feelings a little bit. didn't hurt mine. I, I don't would. feel emotions, of course. <laughs> 
Oh goodness! I married um, her. You did. Not not. Oh. I did not get married to her. <laughs> I I performed her wedding. Clarify. My wife said that sounds wrong. I'm like, <laughs> okay, yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> the words are important that's why we have these geniuses writing down this poetry these bards who are very concerned about <laughs> the meaning of words and telling the story and avoiding those those double innuendos and sexual nintendos and however that goes they had a wife that was an english major also sitting behind them <laughs> the body humor yeah I'm gonna get stories later. to tell in pubs I'm pub cheese true pub cheese at its finest um <laughs> so let's see uh i kind of want oh go ahead sir all right uh the druids are a group of peaceful and secretive people who possess powerful magic they live throughout albion and seemingly small settlements and they are very powerful healers they have been long sought and hunted down by the tyrannical king Uther pendragon druids Worship the powers of nature and the five elements earth, water, air, fire, and spirit. Druid magic is usually performed in groups and usually relates to agricultural and natural and nature related events. These practical these practice they practice magic for good means and are generally uh, a peaceful race. The Druids only employ the use of violent magic like circuits. To deter strangers or those who would wish them harm from entering their land. And they spell that not like electrical circuit that we spell today, but S-E-R-K-E-T-S. It could also be called a circles. Um, but circuits, that's interesting. I feel like they might use the word circuit today based on the old magical name for attacking intruders from Druidic magic. Seems like it. Is that a connection to the stone circles? Uh, yeah, that's it's a connection to their to their boundaries and protecting their borders and stuff. And so, circles and marker stones, which is what they use for their magical spells, uh, and the directions of the the uh, world wheel wheel of the world. Um, I'm gonna go into that a little bit later. But um, they practice magic in its purest form and its lighter side of magic, while they acknowledge that the magic can be used for evil, uh, as Uther proclaimed. They believe it can be used for great good and strive to use it for good. Uh, Druids did not kill um, or harm those that are danger to them. Druids are known to seek out those who have a natural ability or talent for magic and take them in as apprentices. Druids of a certain level of authority have knowledge of the future and druids also seem to have the power of telepathy, making it possible, uh, making it an inherent ability of the druid people. Druids appear to have symbols imprinted on them, which seems to differentiate them from non-druidic people. It tends to resemble the Triscal symbol of three spirals. Uh, they're different in ranks in the druid camp. There's the Vikan, which is the follower of the druid religions and traditions without magic. The Druid, which is the follower of Druid religions and traditional traditions with magic. The Vates or the Vates, uh, powerful seers. Their power is prophet of prophecy and is unrivaled, even in the high priest or priestess. Um, 
The Druid Master, which teaches the Druid ways, takes on the apprentices, and then the Druid Chieftain, the highest rank of Druid, they are counted as the high priests of the old religion. Always a male. I'm hearing the word prophet there. I like that. The yeah. idea of the, the one who speaks for the divine or has the divine inspiration. And then the idea that maybe a prophet can somehow predict the future or be a soothsayer. That's an interesting aspect of what we might consider to be a wizard. That tr that um, aspect of prophecy, which might get into divination magic and these mm -hmm. sorts of things. Absolutely. That also ties in that why they worship the oak trees, because... According to the wisdom of the oak trees, it has been demonstrated for many years while making critical decisions about the future. The ancients turned to the oak for wisdom and guidance. And I know this year we've been getting a lot of uh, oak uh, acorns falling. And nice. the Farmer's Almanac uses that to determine how the winter's going to be. It's gonna, if there's a lot of acorns falling, there's going to be a lot of snow, a cold winter. Mm. So they would they would have this knowledge of nature which would allow them to seemingly predict the weather patterns if they could see the oak and the mm -hmm. the nuts falling from the trees and the squirrels getting real busy collecting all this stuff then they know well we better prepare for a long haul cold winter i, I do I love that the, the nuts at the last so many years actually uh and this is something that i've read about that they're trying to figure out out in the uh uh arborist community uh, a lot of different trees because there's there's even pines that are only supposed to throw cones like every other year and they're doing it every mm -hmm. year now it, mm -hmm. it's very interesting like all these trees are chucking down just mad seeds that is super interesting i mean the wet the, like we know that like uh we kind of went to this last night on a um, dopamine deep dive uh, little patreon bonus show but um, deeper into the lore of the green man uh, and the jolly green giant uh, who we kind of like compared to Bill Gates last night, Bill Gates being like the modern version of like the jolly green giant buying up, um, you know, the majority of the ag land here in America and then owning um, this super locked down seed bank in Norway and, uh, you know owning all this bacteria food like the beyond meats and everything and then talking about blocking out the sun so like this manipulation fully of like agriculture in general being like a green giant the giant of controlling green uh like to fuck with the trees hormones i mean humans bodies hormones are being kind of completely enthralled uh through many different re reasons and means so like plants you know are in incredibly adaptable. I, I, I could imagine that they're getting torn and sworn into things <laughs> that are uh, out, of, out of their natural cycle. It's it's really interesting. And yeah, um, I, I wanted to, I got one of my favorite books here. It's a classic uh, by Richard Kekheifer, uh, Magic of the Middle Ages. And I just did a little bibliomancy uh, to see what, what kind of page would pull up. And so I'm going to read a quick excerpt on this and then let, let somebody else rip on it because there's a um, a cool word. It's uh, here somewhere in here, and I'm trying to find it. It's called uh, it's. So I'm very familiar with the seven Renaissance magics or the magic of the Rena uh, Renaissance, which is necromancy, hydromancy, geomancy, pyromancy, uh, palmistry, and uh, oh gosh, the the other one. But I just found out about 
catatropomancy, Keta, cato, catatro, c a t o p t r o mancy, catatroman. So uh, let's find out what the fuck that is. <clears throat> this is uh, in a sub in, in, in magicians at court in the Middle Ages. True encounters of courts, uh, magicians, and wizards being brought to court. Uh, when you when you want to bring magic and law into the same equation, this is what you get in the 14th that's century. A, that's not a wizard dating ceremony where they're courting each other. <laughs> when they get into the chirps accord where they're dancing together. <laughs> this like locking psychic eyes from across the across the celestial plane. Mm -hmm. um, there is so much substance to this picture. Magical assassination and love magic were common allegations in the French court during the early 14th century, and they were not uncommon in the English court throughout the late Middle Ages. In 1316, a sorceress who was being interrogated accused Mahat of Artois, the mother-in-law of Philip V of France, of using magic to reconcile the king with her daughter. More seriously, she had supposedly used poison, whether magic or to kill King X and secure Philip's succession as monarch. In 1441, the Duchess of Gloucester was charged with using the image magic against Henry VI of England so that her husband, the Duke, might rise in power and perhaps the throne nor was the papal court immune from such intrigue perhaps the best known cases in which magic was suspected in the papal curia come from the pontificat pontific pontific oh my sweet christ what is it pontificate of john the 22nd the most celebrated instance of all that was in the 1317 of which Bishop Cahors was executed for involvement with an alleged Jewish, Jewish magician and other shadowy figures in an attempt on John's life. Not content with poisons, the conspirators allegedly tried to smuggle the papal palace magical images with inscriptions attached to them concealed in loaves of bread. Yet it is misleading to portray the situation at court as different in the principle from that elsewhere. There were rivalries and animosities in all walks of life that led us to the use of suspicion. The historical record gives little warrant for taking the courts as div in this regard. About magic at court than any other things because the records are much more ample. Magic in a rural village might pass unnoticed, but magic was likely to arouse the interest of chroniclers and other writers. In many cases, indeed, in all the cases cited above, even when courtiers were charged with magic, it was not that they, it was not they, but outsiders, common people that brought in ad hoc from towns or villages who were actually supposed to have been done the deed. Within courtly society itself, diviners seem to have been very much in demand. That is the burden of the complaints by John of Salisbury. In a long section of the Polaritius, he deplores the various magical arts to which courtiers are tempted, but when he turns to specific forms and examples from what he delivers is in effect a treatise on divination. His references are almost entirely to the literature of antiquity and readers who hope to find in his work details about the practice of magic or divination at court will be disappointed, yet he clearly feels it important giving moral guidance for courtiers. 
to expose the ways and errors of argers, astrologers, chiromancers, interpreters of dreams, crystal gazers, and diviners of every stripe. From other sources as well, we know there were often astrologers at court. And I'll see later in this chapter, they gained special popularity through the 12th century. Apart from the diviners and astrologers, rulers might find employment for other specialists in occult practices. Johannes Trithemius, though not the most reliable of witnesses, tells an archbishop of Trier who depleted this treasury in buying books of alchemy and hiring real-life magicians, but they provided a high standard for emulation, non-fictional accounts sometimes disparagingly of such magic. Roger Bacon and Marsilio Ficino both expressed disdain for the sleight of hand of ventriloquism and illusions of performative magicians. Neither Bacon nor Ficino was writing specific magicians at court, and can, can we can perhaps that the performers we did go to court had more sophisticated of the tricks performed in the marketplace. The less accomplished magicians, like most popular performers, could expect only revilement from the respectable society. At times, indeed, the illusions enacted at court seem to have been involved elaborate, expansive staging of entertainments done very much by craft rather than through necromancy. Okay. All right. Let's so pon let's pontificate on that for a minute. That word pontificate. The, okay. it's, that's that's the word pontiff <laughs> for the pontifex. That uh, that word is um, a title for someone who negotiates between gods and men. It's this. It's that middle manager, who's that bridge maker, as opposed to someone who's a wall builder uh, of a politician type. So you have someone who gets into the court and is not really the ruler, but really has some knowledge and wisdom, and says, you know, we're going to use our magic here, our stagecraft, our dramaturgy and our ritual to amuse you, to entertain you. And that's the difference between like a stage magician who does card tricks, like guess the card, is this your card? Or magic with a K, which is more <laughs> ritual magic, the the darker mm -hmm. arts perhaps. Magic with a K, Crowley gives that definition of changing your will or aligning with consciousness or something. So it gets into this murky area of controlling uh, dynasties and families and fortunes and businesses mm -hmm. and entire countries kind of from behind the scenes. And that's where you have the, the puppet master who's really pulling the strings there. Well, I love that because, and I also love this, uh, the concept of court itself, you know, because to start a magical duel between two parties to see thus who will be, uh, who will reign and come out the other side, a more, powerful uh winner or winner, you go into a court the magical court we have created here in what we consider reality now right circle right so to first start your spells and start your magic you have to step inside of a circle and that reigns back to the earliest of understandings and so it's interesting that um that we see that you know and, and like we talk about lawyers and the magic of law and the magic of word and kind of and we're <laughs> living right. the uh the middle ages now we're living in the in the magic of the of 
than now. That's all. It's sort of a, it's a mental, it's a mental battle. And today you might have more physical battles, but we don't go to war necessarily. We might challenge someone to a, a one-on-one game on basketball on the court or for more athletic or more um, upper class. We might go to a tennis court and volley balls back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Um, to to get that. back to get back to the uh, Tua de Dan in a, a little bit, uh, they come. From, they're the tribe of Dan, basically. And who is Dan? But they are the the judges. Oh or, you know, yes, yes. So, so they are the ones judging the fate. So that kind of goes into that whole uh, pontificate type of idea. Well, Good. let us let us wander down this path, brother. Tell tell us because you know we we're just uh, rapping on that. So let let let's dip our toes into the the Tuatha waters, the Danon waters here. Yeah, if they yeah have I, I I have an article here. Poison hemlock. Uh, the Tua de Danon are people of the goddess Danu. Uh, they were one of the mythical races who settled in Ireland before the arrival of the Milesians. Uh, the the ancestors of the modern Gauls, the Molessians were. The Danans were descendants of the goddess Danu. Her son, Dagda, was their most powerful leader. So Dagda is the son of Danu. Um, the Tua Danan were a race of deities as well as a race of heroes. They were skilled in art, science, poetry, and magic. They were said to come come from four mythical cities, Phileas, Gorius, Phineas, and Murius. When they came to live in Ireland, the Danans received four magic treasures of or talesmans, one from each city. Before the uh, Tua migrated to Ireland, they had learned all of their skills from the four wizards or bards, druids, from these four cities, Morfessa from Phileas, es- Esrus from Gorius, Simeus from Urius, and uh, Usaius from Findius. After the Milesians defeated the Danans, the Danans either retreated to Turna in Og, land of youth, or they continued to live on in the land of the Milesians. But their home, subterranean places, were hidden by magic from the eyes of mortals. Their homes were commonly called she, S-I-D-H-E, uh, or the other world. Another name for the two of the Danon was the uh, A.S. She, or the people of the she. Uh, and uh, Andy Rouse comments that uh, the Picts uh, were also part of, uh, they went to Ireland from Gal- from Gaelic Europe, and that's where we maybe get the word Pixie, is the Picts and the She uh, came together and made the Pixie. And the Pixie dust is the magic dust. Uh, in the other world, the Danan remain young and seemingly immortal, immortal in the sense that they can live a very long time and remain young but they can kill and destroy just like any mortal. They were frequent visits to frequent visits of the Danan with mortals. Sometimes they aided mortals while other times they seek their destruction. Sometimes they sought marriage with mortals. Most of the time 
that the Dans would come to the surface and meet their lovers. Other times, the mortals were allowed to live with them. In the Ulster cycle, the Tuatadanan was still seen as Celtic deities. However, in the Finian cycle, the Danans had degenerated into nothing more than fey people. In other words, the Danans became the fairy people. The Tuatadanan became frequently associated with fairies because of the Christian influences of myths. Some of them died in old age when they leave the other world uh, that they were baptized before their death. It should be noted that the fairies in Celtic myths, especially Irish, Welsh, and Arthurian, uh, had nothing to do with tiny pixie pixies with wings <laughs> that are found in folklore and children's fairy tales, the Tinker Bear and Peter Pan and the fairy godmother and Cinderella. The fairies found here were human with supernatural power. The, the modern interpretations of fairies tend to predify them particularly during the Victorian period. In early Irish and Welsh literature, they could be tall or short, beautiful or ugly. They can be benevolent mm -hmm. beings, but at other times they can be frighteningly cruel or malign. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll stop there because, you know, there's a lot of good stuff there. Real quick, real quick. Just, uh, I love that. I love that article. It's really good. Thank you. And, um, you know, I wanted just to touch on like what, is a general consensus of like the exoteric story of what happened to the druids getting uh um you know getting chased out of ireland right like they chased the snake of ireland the snakes were the druids so forth well it sounds like you know uh other these tales that the twatha de danan they 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 sailed on these ships and they were they were magical ships where they you know coming from one realm to another was this a ship transfer them to a spiritual realm to here to the other dimensions and whatnot but it's like this spiritual battle that was going on and there happened to be like maybe what happened was is like they got banished from this realm or they hide they hid themselves maybe actually retreated into another dimension and that fey dimension is uh, like of the folklore of the of the irish fey or as opposed to them like getting you know it's like if you chase somebody out of ireland that doesn't necessarily mean that went to england or they went to you know egypt or what have you but maybe they really got banished from that dimension and they retreated into the oak forest and transmuted themselves into that energetic realm or dimension where was that place you said dan that they were talking about it was in the earth is that what they were saying and something she yeah so they retreated to inside the earth yeah in their she's the she's i guess uh, it said in there that that was the name of their homes the 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 mounds that they built hmm. were called the she's okay uh kind of it kind of goes into like the hopi and and how they talked about the ant people coming up from the mounds and whatnot you kind of have that idea where maybe they had an entrance at the top of the mound and they would go down into there as defensive type measures or use it for their homes or or whatnot and go into the underworld or the other world it said uh but which is also when we talk about the, yeah when we talk about the dan they're, wow. they're also in the duat too in egypt uh there's a connection between the duat and tuat the Danan. uh so so they were obviously people that like to have these underground or inner earth type dwellings 100%. Well, 
Thank you for inviting me on, gentlemen. I love you, Dan. I love you, Romy. Love you, Alan. Uh, uh, nice talking with you. you again. Good meeting you, Nomad. And uh, you guys have an excellent day. I'm back to Chainsaw. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> nice. Thanks, man. Hey, man. Thanks for joining us. Odin, Odin's beard. Odin's uh, alchemy and Odyssey. Uh, I was listening to uh, an episode of Earth Ancients the other day, and they were talking about Montana, and it, it broke nice. my brain because Mon Montana, if you if you uh, uh, take the syllables, it's Mont Mount Anna, uh, uh, the Mount of Anna, and there's all kinds of uh, mounds there, and that are little holy little known. shit. And so the mountains of the Anunnaki. Mount bro. Anna is like, yeah, Anna was also the same as Danu, uh, Diana, or, uh, or Diana, or uh, she connects into a lot of these other uh, mother type goddesses. Who's this goddess looking in the mirror right now? Is that a magic mirror on the wall? That's a, uh, yeah. So uh, we were talking about Ket catatraptomancy uh earlier which it was funny because they told me that it was cat. on page 97 but then when i went and that's why i brought it up dan was because i saw the word cat and you know <laughs> was trying to weave in some other slow burns <laughs> that we've done we did the, the cat and dog show but that that page wasn't anywhere or that word wasn't anywhere on that page so i had to actually look it up but it ties in because apparently catatraptomancy it sounds like capture mancy right or something um is divination through mirrors so it's mere, it's mirror magic which uh so as you guys can find them on this youtube feed the three-part series on the history of mirrors uh but apparently this uh is russian folk captromancy a piece of art um that this this woman is doing you know there's many many magical and divination tools and i think that there's so many things around our house, like the cabinet of wonders was something else I, I came across um, during this research. And I even cabinets and shelving units were used as magical incantations, altars, mirrors, bathrooms, thrones. Everything in history has a magical uh, tie to it. And because everything had a spirit tie to it, you know, people call it animism is when things have a spirit you know attach them but in theory if you're living if anything in this atmosphere has spirit attached to it there's an energy that is imbued upon everything that lives within our atmosphere so fear not because everything is magical it's just how how we how we choose to stay in touch with it and and all that beautiful goodness and yeah man so cat tap tromancy is is mere magic basically is what we're alluding to here a lot of that going on right now, wouldn't you say? Seems like our whole world is mirrors. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, the <laughs> that it's that's a trippy, trippy thought to think about that we're living in, like in, in this age of like you know the internet being like a huge reflective surface or like a disco ball. Um, well, cameras. Cameras yeah. and mirrors. That's yep. what we're using right now. Catatromancy to capture that in there, the capture magic. That's super fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah, we're doing it right now. We we are doing a form of catatromancy or scrying. 
uh, right now. I mean, and that picture looks like us. Watching. <laughs> you think does. so? Yeah. Look at it. Yeah, there's also that aspect of glamour magic. We have these beautiful beards, and we're so charming with our face looking in the mirror. Exactly. <laughs> I think there's crystal, crystal Mancy with crystals. Mm-hmm. And which is, yeah, I think similar to it. If uh, like they, there's a hu- it's a huge, huge thread on it on its own. I have some of that in the book, Greater Key of Solomon here read about the um well because mirrors are their form of like silica times or they're a form of silver or mercury so i think it's a, kind of the same but it's like more of like a a like manufactured piece of like a tool an amulet as opposed to like a crystal being like this like pure natural raw form that still probably has some like elemental energies into it um here let me let me pull up this that's like what Nostradamus used to do his divinations and stuff, future prophecies, the black mirror. I mean, we're using scrying. a combination combination yeah. of, yeah, scrying of mirrors and crystals in the computer. So we're literally, it's mm-hmm. like the same thing. We're probably just applying it differently, probably more complicated. They probably had a more elegant solution, a way of doing it. Well, use candles I mean, and, a, and a reflective surface and there's that element in, of being in a dark yeah. room staring at an image your eyes kind of go cross-eyed and you start to <laughs> self-hypnose yourself and then you alter your state of conscious and then you're connected to something else and wow you're in another world yeah. completely different yeah world. absolutely and like we you know technology i mean we're gonna have to do like we weave, weave this into like the master magic of what the world we live in because technology is like you brought up nomad it's it's everything it's all of these individual pieces of magical amulets and talismans of the past but brought into into like one computer one phone one piece of technology that has all of these magical capabilities um and you know i mean we we are obvious of that but like you know obviously a large part of the population is still not necessarily hip to these being actual magical incantations. And then then through that, we not only have the ability for our own selves, but there might be other entities that are tied into that uh, and trapped in there as well, which is kind of kind of sketchy, totally. man. Totally. Have any of you guys read The Teachings of Don Juan by Carlos Castaneda? No, man. I've oh, not. man, that's a good series. And they talk about using a black mirror and they put it in like running water under a stream and it opens up a portal to like oh. dark spirits in the underworld or something and they come up and snap. This dude that he's trying to train, Yaki, Native American shaman is trying to teach this, this American like anthropologist how to take peyote and like trying to help him get over his fear. He gives him these psychedelics to practice on and he gets stolen up into the mirror and brought into the underworld or something by some demons. And that was wow. meant to refi- refine his spirit and help him get over fear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes he sense. Up, nice. Uh... <laughs> until he, he, you know, he screwed up and fell into the. He was, I don't know. It was, it's a good series, though. But so... I've definitely heard of it. I haven't read it yet, unfortunately. I'm definitely. It's on the list, though, man. It will happen someday someday mm-hmm. yeah it's really fascinating 
Talk about starts to get through all these other fucking books. Yeah. Uh, um, oh, I want to read. I want to read this. Uh, this so you guys can practice practice this old ancient uh, magical ritual to turn yourselves invisible, uh, spiritually, physically, what have you. You could take this with a a grain of crystallized salt, if you will, and uh, let us delve into uh, the greater key of Solomon here. This version was um, translated by Crowley and a couple other people. Um, so yet again, take that with an even bigger grain of salt, if you will. But, you know, uh, these Crowley had ties, ties into um, some of these older tablets. And he was able to in, uh, inscribe some of the um, some of the working. That a lot of other people weren't allowed to. So. You know, people say that he, Crowley was a was an incel and so on and so forth, and he was. But through that, we have a lot of a lot of really really great occult nurses. Um, Anyways, here we go. Chapter ten of the experiment of invisibility and how it should be performed. If thou wishest to perform the experiment of invisibility, thou shalt follow the instructions for the same. If it be necessary to observe the day and the hour, thou shalt do as is said in their chapters. But if thou needest not observe the day and the hour as marked in the chapter thereon, thou shalt do as taught in the chapter which precedeth it. If in the course of the experiment it be necessary to write anything, it should be done as is described in the chapters pertaining thereto, with the proper pen, paper, and ink, or blood. But if the matter is to be accomplished by invocation before thy conjurations, thou salt, thou, <laughs> sorry, thou shalt say devoutly in thine heart, Skiabolis, Aberon, Elohai, Elimigith, Heronbulkuli, Methi, Baluth, Temail, Villaquil, Tevini, Yevi, Farete, Bachoba, Garuvin. Don't say the last word. Beetlejuice. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't say the last word. Through him by whom ye have empire and power over men, ye must accomplish this work so that I may go and remain invisible. And if it be necessary in this operation to trace a circle, thou shalt as it ordain in the chapter concerning circles. And if it be necessary to write characters, thou shalt following the instruction given to the respective chapters. This operation being thus prepared, if there is an especial conjuration to perform, thou shalt repeat it in the proper manner. If not, thou shalt say the general conjuration at the end, of which thou shalt add the following words, Aus thou talmirius vastner of invisibility, with thy ministers, cheros, maitr, tangidim, transidium, suvantos, abielos, bord, belameth, castumi, dabuel, I conjure ye by him who maketh earth and heaven to tremble, who is seated upon the throne of his majesty, that this operation may be perfected, accomplished, perfectly accomplished according to my will, so that at whatsoever time it may please me, I may be able to be invisible. I conjure thee anew, O Almiris, chief of invisibility, both thee and thy ministers, by him through whom all things have their being, and by Saturel, Hydrael, Daniel, Beniel, and Asimonim, 
Thou, thou immediately comest hither with thy, all thy ministers and achievest this operation as thou knowest it ought to be accomplished, that by the same operation thou render me invisible, so that none may be able to see me in order then to accomplish the aforesaid operation thou must prepare all things necessary with requisite care and diligence and put them in practice with all the general and particular ceremonies laid down for these experiments. And with all the conditions contained in our first and second books, thou shalt also in the same operations duly repeat the appropriate conjurations. With all the solemnities marked with the respective chapters, thou shalt thou accomplish the experiment, surely, without hindrance, and thou shalt thou find it true. But on the contrary, if thou lettest any of these things escape thee, or if thou de despiseth them, thou shalt never be able to arrive at thy proposed end. As, for example, we enter not easily into fenced city, but over its walls and through the... Er, we enter not easily into a fenced city over its walls, but through its gates. How to render oneself invisible? Make a small image of yellow wax in the form of a man in the month of January and in the day and the hour of Saturn. And at the time, write with a needle above the crown of his head upon its skull, which thou shalt have adroitly raised the character following, after which thou shalt replace the skull in the proper position. Thou shalt then write upon a small strip of the skin of a frog or toad, which thou shalt have killed the following words and characters. Thou shalt then go and suspend the said figure by one of the hairs from the vault of a cavern at the hour of midnight, perfuming it with the proper incense, and thou shalt say, Metatron, Melik, Baroth, North, Vinibeth, Mach, and all ye, I conjured thee, O figure of wax by the living God, that the virtue of these characters and words thou render me invisible, wherever I may bear thee with me. Amen. And after having sent it anew, thou shalt bury it in the same place in a small deal box. And every time thou wishest to pass or enter into any place without being seen, thou shalt say these words, bearing the aforesaid figure in their left pocket. Come unto me, and never quit me, whithersoever I shall go. Afterwards thou shalt take it carefully back unto the before-mentioned place, and cover it with earth until thou shalt need it again. Oh, there we go. Love. Uh, I love do you. Do you like think that. that? Do you think that it is possible? I actually uh, do because it seems like it's like how do they come to all of that? You know, like what types of shit that they have to do to figure all of that out? Seems I, I like mean, a lot to figure the out. Ma the massive amounts of accounts riding on frog about, skin. We're talking about centuries, man. Like so the. <laughs> When you look at like different alchemical laboratories of uh, antiquated art, you start to see all these different animals that are in there. You know, you have the hanging gator, you got bullfrogs and toads, and then you have the you know the wizards and the witches and their familiars and these different associations to the animal world. It's almost like everything that we need to do any sort of magical processes is here within the atmosphere. And then even inside of that, deeper, once you start to get into the Key of Solomon, he starts to talk about the specific shapes that John D completely ripped off of that i even found that the the seal of the pope the the coat of arms of the papal coat of arms is almost directly correlated to the key of solomon it's literally two keys crossed over each other on top of an egg with a pope hat on top 
and so that's the, the 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 greater and the lesser key and so these these are high magical ceremonies and high magical uh treatises that's why alistair crowley was one of the only five people at this point to i think to actually interpret these and and decipher it from latin so i'm like it's a stretch but also not everybody's going to be able to do it i mean first of all you have to you have to know the study of when the day of saturn is when the hour of saturn is how are you going to kill your frog you have to hunt the fucking frog like you know like this is not an easy feat but if you want to be invisible i mean ain't no reason not to try it or maybe (laughs) you might turn yourself invisible forever and then i'll miss you bud (laughs) you're just stuck and no one can see you you can't really (sighs) communicate with anybody that would be terrible that's just a lot of effort to go through to become (laughs) stealth and sneak into the girl's locker room for a peek i think there's easier ways Oh goodness! Hey, Nomad, I see you wanted to share a screen here, brother. You mind if I pull that up? You ready to talk about this? Oh sure, yeah. I just put together some slides. I knew you were going to talk about Solomon, so we can kind of go through some of this. There's nothing specific, but since you were talking about the lesser key of Solomon, um, wasn't that the one where they mentioned the seventy-two seals? Yes, the 72 seals are uh, all invoked in the lesser key, of course, of course. And so I thought I that to... was super interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, when so there's these pentacles, right, or like these plates that are attached to the different planets. And when they were, when he was explaining all, there's seven uh, plates of Saturn, seven plates of the sun, uh, seven, it's like seven plus seven plus seven plus seven plus five plus five plus six and i was like oh this must this must equal 72 um and those are specific magical incantations and that you do with the practice of those planets but it didn't equal 72 it equals 44 so there are 44 spells integrations that are directly tied to the planets so that's another uh fun number but the 72 is is like the angels and then the hermetic half of that would be the demons and so that was an interesting find I found just actually this morning before the before the stream here. Yeah, supposedly there was another device that was actually uh, specifically for um, bringing forth angels. And I don't remember the specific name of that, but that could be a whole other uh, episode in and of itself. But yeah, this one was, from what I understand at least, uh, for demons or the djinn. I think what is interesting is just the shapes in here. I was noticing we have like the common heart, right? That we, what we know of as the heart. Um, wow. Like that's the second to bottom row. And I'm just Can thinking you put of your all mouse these. Over it? Uh, I, I'm just sharing through the thing so you can't okay. see it, but it's not the second to last row, um, fourth from the right. Oh, I see it. And there's, okay. there's like a little heart. Oh. And. That that icon is just everywhere, right? And so when I saw that, I'm like, what are these shapes actually doing? Is there some energy, some specific power behind these shapes that we're not aware of? Um, you know, typical sigil magic style. So, yeah, does, does anyone have any thoughts on that? The one you're talking about looks like a heart, you said. Is it like have two pillars on the sides? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the text underneath that or associated with that? Is there a name? Let me see if I have it here. Kind of small bigger. text we're saying. Because that's, you know, that looks like a, like a type of crest with the two pillars and then the heart in the middle. 
Yeah. And you see that Templar style cross or that the, the cross that's in a lot, a lot, a lot of these too, which I think uh, is to the right. looks like the helm of awe. Two to the right. Oh yeah, it does. Wow. Yeah. And uh, like you see a lot of the, uh, like the candle holder type of aspect and, and the cross itself, I think is, uh, you know, it's the four letters of, of God, right? Like they, uh, he, Solomon talks about that a lot, uh, that the directions are tied to the four letters of Yahweh. Um, and so you, 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 the four corners of the universe or whatever. And then, uh, we were talking earlier about the elementals. It's like, or Andy, when you brought up the, the, the black mirror, the obsidian underneath the water to open a portal, it's like <clears throat> that these four different elements, different ways of tra travel and transfers of like, like spiritual, uh or you know i guess dd like i don't even know how to how to really put a lot of like words in it to sound like i know what the fuck i'm talking about but just looking at these um <laughs> looking at these seals man is it's really blowing my mind because a lot of these uh the crosses when they have that longer uh bottom and or the stem it reminds me of like a horn to get three horned horn so like if you were to have the silver horn um, or an instrument to use was, these incantations. I was looking at those too, and it was reminding me of like uh, the the cross of the rain or the the symbol for sulfur. Yeah. Oh shit! Well, that's that fascinating. One. Oh my god, because yeah. sulfur is is directly connected to like the Oracle of Delphi or like that rotten putrid smell. That comes from within the earth or volcanic at, activity. Yeah, kind of, and if you look at a lot of these, they almost look like schematics for some type of electric capacitors or something. Absolutely, uh, to bring it like the to open, the fucking the open ends, the circles, and then the connection to the to the ground, and then uh, how it gets. Because a, a few of them have crosses at the bottom and at the top, so it's almost like it's showing you the connection between uh the ground in the heavens uh now it looks like yeah, the one look like schematics <laughs> it has like the heart is inside of an h it looks like and i know like the jesuits i think use h for the name of mm. god uh-huh uh-huh dude oh so okay so when you were saying this looks like schematics mm -hmm. i want to and to tie this in because Solomon is he's an architect, right? He built the temple, he got the schematics, or he got these specific sort of. rules from higher angels. Uh engineering. He got some twatha, he got some Twatha de Danan to help him build temples. <laughs> well, you know the story of Enoch or Ezekiel, um, which is like Ophaic angels, right? The Ezekiel's wheel, the story of the wheels is Ophaeum. Um Anyways, the specific diagrams are. Uh, I, I wanted to tie it into uh, the mandala in, in the Eastern mythos that the mandala was created by the Buddha or by the um, specific like godhead of of that time, and they would draw mandala into the ground, and that would be the blueprint, and that would be the heart chakra, basically of. The building or the temple and so you correlate like these types of sigils and with an architectural style and format then it's like 
it's that same aspect of like drawing the mandala on the blueprint of the building to invoke a certain type of energy or a spiritual strong force within the temple there. Mm -hmm. And how are you building your temple? Are you building your temple with blocks and cubes and straight lines and 90 degree angles? Or are you building mosques with rounded shapes? When we're looking at these sigils, these logos, these emblems here, you can see some of them are more focused on the square lines, the 90 degree angles. They look more mechanical or more of a control over nature. And some of these look to have a balance between the two and some seem to be overbalanced. Mm. Yeah. I re really got us. We really got to break each one of these down, man. Like these are all very significant. I can't wait. <laughs> Did you find yeah, well, anything on that? Like they, window, man? Uh, uh, no, not yet. I was trying to find like a higher res image. I have not found one yet, but yeah, it does seem like they had their own like personalities and their own functions. Each one of these sort of demons, mm -hmm. um, as we call them. So yeah, it's very fascinating. And I, uh, and I wasn't, I was being serious. I wasn't joking about the Twatha Day helping Solomon build the temple. I know you brought that up before, man. Well, let's uh, get into that. Let's get into it. Well, because the Tua Day Danan were also known as the Day, the Tua Day or the Day Men, uh, and they were the demons. And so it said that help, uh, Solomon help, got help from uh, these uh, demons to help build his temple. And uh, these to a day or whatnot were the engineers of a lot of these buildings i wonder yeah, what and I, is oh, go ahead go ahead sir i was just gonna say they're also referred to as the jinn right and i always thought that was interesting because of the word engineering and it could be no connection there but that was just a random yeah thing no, I, but, I think a no, lot of our engineering comes connection. from this yeah <laughs> Because they worship Solomon pretty much. I mean, like you said, who knows how much actual he was supposed to be the wisest man who ever lived. So maybe he did mm -hmm. have a lot of architectural knowledge and maybe he did get that from other realms, other spirits. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the Twatha are specifically connected to that spirit realm. You know, they they traveled through on their boats and are they are they connected mm -hmm. directly yeah. to like the cedar, the cedars, Dan? I don't know specifically the cedars and so what i thought was interesting too about the well, numbers, like the 70. cedars s-e-e-d-e-r-s -E -E yes or the yeah, cedars, not, the I, didn't trees. Mean, I didn't mean the trees yeah i didn't necessarily mean the trees but also potentially i mean if they're traveling through the forest imagine such a such a such an ability or such a magical trait that you can travel through like mycelial network or if you can travel through the roots and travel through the forest floors or travel through these trees and then there's these different invocations to the different families and genuses of trees that have archetypes tied to them and different geographical hotspots then who knows you know and maybe that's another reason to kill trees to kill the transport of the spiritual travel Right. And yeah, with what I was saying earlier about how the two of it and they're they're kind of in that in between realm. They're like these mystical beings, uh, and and how that connects to the Duat and in Egypt and how those beings were mystical, and they traveled from the underworld to the overworld. And then you have the Jinn being kind of the same in between aspect. So th they're all connected. They all have similar. Uh, they're 
probably all come from the same place, just in different names for different places. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, what, what's interesting too, uh, our, our, our buddy Mario brought up that the story of Solomon, he thinks is allegorical. And I can't disagree with that by any means at all. Um, I think the stories of a lot of these antiquated stories are, are allegorical. And something I thought of about that was like Solomon is very similar to Salamander uh, and the Pymander. And, and that's definitely a huge homage to the fire lizard. Um, you know, the, the salamander that, that lives in the fire of the still during the alchemical processes, um, which is, you know, it, it's, it's a big, big thing of it to be in the fire, uh, and to be in the hot seat, to be on the throne and to be heightened up there. Yeah. I think, I think Solomon itself is, right. is an allegory and an I archetype. connect Solomon with, uh, soul and moon, sun and moon mm -hmm. and how he brought up both pillars to, uh, make the temple for this new religion. Uh, he, he was the one because he built the temple, there was a religion. And so because he brought the two pillars together under the temple, he brought the sun and he brought the heavens together basically i love that and i think i think that's right too like the soul the moon the sun and the moon uh and then the the dare uh which i think is just like kind of ties them two together i love that i love that one, one thing i wanted to say about the number 72 to see what you guys think about this is okay there's 72 angels 72 jinn when you divide 72 by six you get 12 and you know, we know that there's 12 major archetypes in the Zodiac, but where does the six come in? You know, is that like, where, where does that come in when you times you have, you have, tw you have 12 different archetypes in the Zodiac and then you multiply it by six. Is that going to give you like, if you were to take that wheel and then move and then times by six and then kind of like fractal it out, would you get that Ezekiel's wheel type all moving mobility or where do you guys think that the 72 comes into play here well how does the 13th isn't there a 13th also zodiac officia or is that his name officia officius yeah uh, that's that's that is having i mean yeah. um there the high i so for all intensive purposes specifically for this like equation uh no Mario? but also i think that's like the <laughs> hidden uh i think that's like the hidden next level like i think uh, we talked about it a while ago with David Matt on the show. Um, and it was like, since he has like this, like one foot in, one foot out, it could be like that next step out. Like it's like the 13th sign could be this either the center point of it all. Because, um, you know, everything has, has a center. Um, or it could think, be like uh, the next step out to the next level. Uh, the well, you're, the, the you're tribe of Dan Solomon. has a connection to... The tribe of Dan has a connection to Ophiuchus also because they're kind of like the judges of the rest of the Israelites. So they're on the outside. They're not affected by the laws that are affecting all the other Israelites. So they're kind of on the outside looking in. And I think that's what Ophiuchus does. He kind of stands in the realm of the Zodiac and also outside of that realm. And he watches. He's the watcher of all the other uh, Zodiac. Yeah. And in terms of calendar and, and systems. And that being, yeah, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 months in a solar or uh, sun calendar, Gregorian 
calendar. If you go to a moon or a lunar calendar, you'd have 13 months of 28 days. So that's the Solomon, the sun and the moon combined. So you have to work with multiple calendar systems at one time. If you're working in the fields, well, you have that sort of uh, clock in, clock out calendar for you, but the court astrologers, they're working on astrological mm. calendars of multiple scales and multiple right. timekeeping mm. measurement increments. They're looking at long term. They're looking at the precession of the equinox. They're looking at much longer periods of time. The work in the field's looking at his watch. He doesn't have a wristwatch. He's looking at the sky. Oh, sun's directly above me. It's noon. It's lunchtime. I'm taking a break. Mm hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that tracks that makes sense and that's exactly at least in the bible what we hear is what the purpose of the stars is for so i'm mm-hmm. oh, sorry guys i am just figuring something Very out on my good. phone here <laughs> did you happen to uh dig into the shamir at all uh yeah, well, let's get into yes. that though yeah let's get into it Okay, um, well, I could just read this real quick just to give us a little bit of insight into what this is. So, the Shamir is a worm or a substance that had the power to cut through or disintegrate stone, iron, and diamond. King Solomon is said to have used it in the building of the first temple in Jerusalem in the place of cutting tools. For the building of the temple, which is promoted peace, it was inappropriate to use tools that could also cause war and bloodshed. So I found that super interesting. Like, God didn't even want them using tools that could be misused, essentially, and so they had to use this very specific tool. Um, so that was the main the main part of it. There's some more mm-hmm. here if people want to read on. But, yeah, so have you guys ever heard of anything like this, the story of this creature? Yeah, so like the, it's, it's the, like the language of the birds. They say that the bird brought the the. They would do things with birds, like put a piece of glass over their nest, or they, fuck yeah, with them exactly. So that they would try to get to their babies. Then the the bird would have to travel to find something to get through that gla- glass or whatever to or or rock or whatever it was mm-hmm. to get uh, back to their nest. So they would go and they would find these worms, and they'd bring these worms back to get through that obstacle so they could get into their nest and through watching and observing the birds they were able to get these worms and uh take them from them basically when they, after they brought them back and then use them in in such fashion as this yeah exactly so uh supposedly solomon consulted the demons to find out where it was and it was being protected by this bird entity and they put the glass over the nest to essentially distract the bird and so they could get the get the uh, Shamir. So yeah, exactly. Um, and so did now, did you hear that through a different story that was unrelated to Solomon? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, do you was, mind uh, sharing a little more of, language of the birds? Okay. Interesting. See, I love that when you have different mythologies, right. That are sort of, uh, saying the same thing. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Do you guys think uh, it was kind thing? of like a science where they they were observing they're observing the birds they are observing nature and seeing how nature got over its own hurdles and because they observed the nature and saw how they did it then they were able to take that from them and and do it themselves. So this what do you think it actually go, was? Oh, go well, ahead. this yeah, this might tie yeah, into some other ideas. So we're looking at this being kind of a worm. 
Could that be a caterpillar? And if we have this word Aurelia combined mm. that with uh, what we were talking about earlier, this Ambrosius Aurelianus, this this golden thing, and you have trees and leaves, and you have worms and caterpillars, and they have this chrysalis, which is again the word Aurelia mm -hmm. means chrysalis, and then you have this transformation process undergoing of building that chrysalis and then emerging as a butterfly. It's a alchemical transformation in nature. So they can use that as a symbol to represent this building of the temple. And at the building of the temple, you could see that as a metaphor to represent the temple being the body. If you have the body of a worm and then it goes to build itself and then it emerges something beautiful with wings, a moth or a butterfly, this mm -hmm. could be seen in those terms as well. Uh, yeah, and if and you're it, looking at it that way, it also is the symbol, you know, that is very much how Christ taught us how to live is to be selfless and, and to improve yourself, not by means of war or things of that nature, but by going within and that, having that metaphor, that metamorphosis. Yeah. Right. And that's what magic is all about. It's the correspondences, it's the puns, it's the stacked meaning upon meaning upon meaning. And then when you combine those things in art to use metaphor to explain things, well, that's the, the drama, that's the story, that's the rap battle in the court. That's where you're going and you're using words <laughs> as swords as weapons. And that's where we are today. And the beautiful, like, it's a full transmutation like that they go through in the stage when they're in their cocoon they they turn themselves completely into a liquid and then they reform their body inside the cocoon to transform themselves into a moth or a butterfly and there's a lot of like occult lore behind like what like spiritual entities are attached to moths like some people say vampires can turn themselves into moths as like as well as bats and yeah that's super super fascinating this solomon shamir is <laughs> It's a crazy story, but uh, it reminds me a lot of like James and the Giant Peach, that movie that came out in the early thousands with that little uh, worm that goes and eats like, you know, it's in the apple. And then they go through this whole like uh, this whole like hero's mm -hmm. journey story and they, they enter that spiritual realm and, you know, and it's like a full transmutation that happens there and it's yeah su super interesting i really recommend people look deeper into this story there's some there's some good uh videos on youtube about it you're talking roald dahl he wrote a book on witches too so he was into this these ideas oh, and then going shit. and then going back to our other author who talked about the lorax again these are modern day bards who are writing stories for children which you might consider to be fairy tales <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. A good one. I got a question about the Shamir. Uh, they say that it, if it's usually wrapped in wool or stored in a container made out of lead, mm -hmm. otherwise the vessel would burst and disintegrate mm -hmm. under the Shamir's gaze. Yeah. <laughs> and again, these are very specific, like material details, right? Which is what makes me think. I think there is some like stories and metaphors that we can derive from it, but it also seems like there is some physical aspect to this, right? And mm -hmm. I don't think it's too crazy to believe that there is a creature or even a device it was sometimes um referred to as a device as well or like a stone um but that could that could essentially laser cut or um mm -hmm. maybe with sound or even eating maybe it just eats off of certain materials
materials and that's Sounds why like it had to be stored termite. in lead exactly yeah. like a termite for different things other than wood that like we're right. used to um because it had to be stored in cotton so maybe it couldn't eat through cotton or maybe it was also radioactive because it had to be in lead so there's many different uh components to this that are yeah. super interesting I believe there was a native, it was a Native American, I think, or it could have been South American where they Master said that the, uh, the bird would dream them, the bird would bring this uh, like caterpillar or worm thing to them. And that's how they were able to uh, smooth the edges of the stone. Um, and, and so, so there's other sources besides just Solomon of this like Shamir type object or creature, whatever it is. So it's, it's really interesting. And yeah, I, I think it's true because, you know, if you look at a lot of animals in nature, they can do all kinds of weird, crazy shit. Like lizards can grow their tails back. Uh, octopus can fucking camouflage themselves. Chameleons. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, crazy cool uh adaptive abilities by animals and if we learned how to do those uh i mean i think that's what they were doing observing and then if you even look at what they're doing now they're extracting dna from fucking glow worms and putting it into dogs so you can make a glow in the dark dog and shit so obviously uh <laughs> there's science has expanded on on this idea itself yeah, the the word green stone on this slide with the shamir that goes back to the chrysalis. It's a hard stone-like thing. It's not soft. I don't know if stone is an actual rock or a gem. They're describing a hard-shaped chrysalis hanging from a tree right. that a different creature emerges from. Totally. It's kind of the same shape as those, like, uh, Sumerian gods, right, with, like, the wristwatch, and they're holding the pine cone-looking thing. Kind of reminds me of that too. But yeah, there's, I mean, uh, and I, I think uh, Symbolic Studies is saying he thinks it's metaphor, and maybe it is, but I would be curious to if he has any, because there are so many examples of this, right, where we see these crazy megalithic structures that seem to have very intense details. Um, so yeah, I wonder, like, if, if it wasn't the Shamir worm, I wonder what it was, right? Anyways, what do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, it could just be like the modern day equivalent of the explain it to me like I'm a five year old kid. Well, we have this process, <laughs> but you're not an engineer, so I'm going to describe it to you in simple language. We have this little thing. It's a green stone. It comes out of its stone and it emerges and it eats away at it. Well, that's like the removing, right. the chipping away of creating a sculpture. You have a, a cube and then you have to chip away at it to reveal what's inside of it as the sculptor. And the architect and engineer, it's all this poetic, symbolic, mythological, metaphorical, allegorical language. That's what the magician does. He imagineers the idea in your mind, presents it to you. And now it's possible because you can believe it and you can achieve totally. it. Yeah, it, it is usually a, a combination of both, right? There's like this foundational idea that then gets spread out into like a beautiful picture of, of the original simple idea. Yeah, I think it's interesting they say that uh, by the end of the the destruction of the first temple, it had lost its potency, uh, or they said it had been lost. Uh, and so it would be like, along with the dripping honeycomb, it mentions. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I feel like, yeah, they might 
use that that liquid that they create to do something and be able to mm, interesting but it doesn't it somehow lost lost its its power and stopped the honeycomb stopped dripping after a certain time i guess very interesting huh. but it's fascinating that it was a gift from asmodeus so it might be it was from the demon's realm and it didn't last so long here just a, after a while just couldn't gonna hack it interesting yeah that is that is a fascinating some, point. some kind of chemical polishing agent to polish your brass vessel to store a <laughs> genie or a demon inside of well when you when you're drilling rock too i mean like when you're using an actual drill it's a lot easier when you get the stone wet or you put an oil or a fat on the rock um it helps the drill penetrate the the substance easier so it's not that far off to believe yeah KY yeah jelly. exactly <laughs> Friction, yeah. <laughs> yes mm -hmm. <laughs> mm, beautiful well uh let's see here uh we are we're heading into uh the hour two and we're going to cap it at two hours today as we've been trying to do for the slow burns uh does anyone have any any fun stuff they want to close out with today yeah you guys were talking about crowley earlier i got some stuff on chaos magic and some demons oh goodness Unleash yeah, it upon it. us. Uh, as we know, uh, Crowley talked to <laughs> and John D was speaking to the angels, supposedly. But uh, according to Typhonian tradition used by Edward Kelly and John D later by the NAA group, uh, who Alistair Crowley contacted I was in 1904 to receive the Book of Law. So Alistair Crowley contacted I was, who was a demon that gave him information the book of law in exchange for i think blood maybe something worse um so the book mm. of law used by alistair and his wife rose crowley as the foundation of the lemma but alistair had her committed to a mental asylum in 1911. it's interesting we see that number 911 right there but after having opened gateways to the Catholic realm, Crowley was used by demonic forces he had unleashed to gain control over mankind for the prior century. Chaos magic developed in England in the 1960s as a new form of magical practice that at the time was dominated by the Thelemic system, as articulated by Elster Crowley, uh, who was born in 1875 and died in 1947. Chaos magic looked to Austin... Osman Spare in his critique of the traditional ritual magic as the forerunner of chaos magic and uh, Ray Sherman as the actual originator of chaos magic theory. Uh, Spare, an associate of Crowley, broke with the order Templi Orentis that Crowley had headed and developed a single form of magic practice that, in his understanding, jettisoned much of the superfluous activity of the ceremonial magic that prevented the practitioner from discerning his or her her own power. Spare developed a very simple form of magic based on the use of sigils. Chaos magic is based on the understanding that the order is a concept imposed upon the universe. System of order, be they religion or science, are attempts to control and subdue and must find ways to dismiss what is not controllable or understood. Chaos magicians drawing upon Eastern philosophical notions Posit the idea that the universe is one vast, ever-changing whole, transcending all categories and concepts. It can be intuited but not defined. Chaos is seen not as the disorder 
that is opposed to order, but as the order beyond understanding, such as chaos is identical with Hindu Brahman in the Taoist way. Chaos theory also agrees with the belief articulated in the Upanishads of Atman and the inner essence of the individual is identical with Brahman and that enlightenment derives from direct experience, knowledge of the truth of that identification. Chaos magicians do not believe in gods or demons who have objective existence and consider the source of magic power to be found with the subconscious of the practitioner. Thus, basic exercises for the chaos magician attempt to place the magician in touch with his or her inner self rather than any outside power or entity. Ritual is used, but is considered drama that arouses the subconscious to fever pitch to a fever pitch prior to discharge of the power. Rituals should be designated by the magician using images that are most provocative. Such images are rarely found in traditional mythology, rather they are more likely to come from popular culture. Chaos magicians began to associate informally in the 1960s in what was described as the Circle of Chaos, a more formal organization, and the initiatives of Thanateros was created in 1977. Early experiments and rituals were produced by Ray Sherwin and published in his book of results and the theater of magic. But these were followed in the later 1980s by more popular work of Peter J. Carroll, whose Nibber Null contains the rituals of the IOT. And Carroll also put together the training manual covering the theory and practice of chaos magic psychonaut. That gives us right up to the modern age, the Libranos and those types of books. Austin Osmond Spare, inspired by these images and these old grimoires, drawing fun little sigils and teaching teenagers how to do magic. And then inspiring <laughs> comic books like The Invisibles, Grant Morrison, and then you have all of that. Yeah. And I believe he uses Enochian letters and his sigils which was something john d received from the angels with edward kelly right, right. and they made a table with uh, 49 symbols across and 49 symbols down and they would use it kind of like a ouija board right they, they would use those as ciphers to uh, send hidden messages to each other and that connects to cryptograms and cryptography and we are probably using cryptography right now to send our https messages to each other <laughs> mm -hmm. that's deep um was jesus a wizard yeah he's been shown with a magic wand along with uh moses both being shown with magic wand moses mm. being shown with horns though mm-hmm mm Oh, there's an image here, down here, uh, one of his, one of the pentacles, the man of horns. Here, let's see. No, Nomad, you want to weigh in on that? Because I know, I know uh, if I say that Jesus is a wizard, uh, I'm going to get a lot of uh, backlash as, as saying that he wasn't into the dark arts. He received his gifts from God, but, and they were natural, but walking on water feeding a whole village with one fish are those metaphors also or is that magic 
I personally believe Jesus is the example of God, how God intended for us to live. I believe he is the example of God's perfect will. Uh, I think there's God's perfect will and permissible will. So for me, I would say, yes, Jesus is a wizard. He's the grand wizard. He is the representation of God. But that's my opinion. Amen. So mote it be. Fair enough. Yo, go ahead, sir. Sometimes it's interesting when you see magic trick, you almost don't really want to know how it was done just because it was so amazing in the act. And so sometimes mm. when I try to explain these miracles away, they seem to have fine answers that might really have game a telephone down into what we know them as today that had a rational understanding. But sometimes when you have that wonder and you really can't even understand how these miraculous things happened, it's even more, uh, you know, exciting because you know you not everybody no nobody knows the answer to it yet and it's just so astounding yeah but yeah when you find the answer, you should always open mind because these, these old tales like we've interpreted them through so many languages already and i think like you know the whole concept of magic what what a lot of these like this book specifically the keys of solomon you know it's like talking directly to a god source so if jesus is a son of god he has you know he has contact directly with them you know the stories would make them like a high wizard and that doesn't mean make you evil or, or not evil you know it just depends on how you interact with those those energies in my opinion so uh you know like he's 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 doing doing the things for good and in, in the name of like trying to optimize the magic potential within us all and trying to be you know be a be a shepherd on society which is really awesome um you know I've, i thought it was interesting that we were talking about mm -hmm. horns and this is a, one of the pentacle one of the seven pentacles of the sun and in this figure they um but this is actually the first pentacle of the sun the countenance of shaddai the almighty at whose aspects all creatures obey and the angelic spirits do reverence on bended knees the single the singular pentacle contains the head of the great angel metatron the vice gerent and the representative of shadhai who is called the prince of countenances and the right hand masculine cherub of the ark the sandal fun is the left and feminine on either side is the name el shadai around is written in latin behold his face and form by whom all things were made and by who all creatures obey. Hmm. Looks like a goat. Goat God. Um, and then uh, in the circle right one above, it has it has the like the star in there and the triangles and the squares. And yeah. uh, uh, eight, while eight doing stars, research, I, I saw I saw that a triangle is a symbol of uh, masculine and the square is a symbol or symbol of feminine. And so a lot of times you'll see the square inside the triangle and that's to show uh, the androgynous aspect or the divinity mm. of the two or the ha harmony between the two. And you can kind of see it here. And it's also in the Masonic idea of the compass in the square, the, the triangle mm -hmm. and the circle. But what mm. you, you have that V with the compass overlaid with the, the V of the uh, square thing so uh it, i guess that's a little different with circles and squares but similar 
Well, the circle is, is yeah, but it's also representative of like the kind of the combination of the both. The circle is like the, uh, the triangle and the square together. So it is that androgynous shape because when you marry them both together, you get, you get the shape of the spheres, you get the shape of the circle. Um, but all embodied within the androgynous and inside comes those different shapes. I feel like that's why it's, um, important for that. Um, the, the, the last one I want to bring up and I'm going to stop screen sharing and be done with the, the greater keys. This has been my favorite one of the pinnacles so far, um, for the occultist Mundi, which is a journal, uh, and fun occult journal that started that one from the one-on-one podcast started, a, started a series of articles for their, about the labyrinth and the cipher of the modern english alphabet and like the history i'm going through each article will be the history of each letter and the next one i'm starting i started with the letter a the monad of course um aleph and the bowl and the sacred bowl worship and all that goodness but i'm gonna do next i'm gonna do z and then i'm gonna go b and then i'm gonna go y i'm gonna meet when then we'll meet in the middle at m which is my favorite letter m and n um and either way, what I'm what I'm getting at is uh, the planet Jupiter is where uh, a lot of the uh, the history of the the letter Z comes from, and that's really interesting because if you're going to end the cipher before it, it goes again, you got Zeus, you have Jupiter. The connections there are strong, even like old like uh, antediluvian times. But um, one of the one of the pentacles of Jupiter is explained as such and this is um figure 19 so this one here is the one we're going to be talking about uh, figure 19 the second pentacle of jupiter this is proper for acquiring glory honors dignities riches and all kinds of good together with great tranquility of mind and also to discover treasures and chase away the spirits who preside over them. It should be written upon virgin paper or parchment with the pen of a swallow and the blood of a screech owl. In the editor's note, the center of the hexagram are the letters of the name A-H-I-H, Eche. In the upper and lower angles of the same, those are the name of A-B, the father. In the remaining angles, those of the name I-H-V-H, I believe the letters outside the hexagram and the re-entering angles to be intended for those of the first two words of the verse, the versicle, which is taken from the uh, from Psalm. Uh, eight, gosh, I, I forget how to read that with the C X I I. Wealth and riches are in his house, and righteousness endureth forever. So. There, there's a lot of things that kind of that kind of like drug me to so that. One, Psalm one twelve, C is one hundred. Psalm one twelve, C is one hundred. X is ten, and I I is two. One twelve. Hello. Yeah. Psalm one twelve, maybe. Oh, Psalm one twelve. Yes, yes, you're one hundred percent right. Yes, one C is 100, 112. Yeah, Psalm one twelve. Um, but the blood of the screech owl and you know you have a lot of this like association with the owl and using using owl blood is really significant for ritualistic magic and acquiring for wealth and a lot of the symbolism the animal symbolism behind um 
behind uh, the owl is associated with with jewels and treasures and knowledge and gnosis. So I think it's interesting that you have Owlifornia um, and uh, Bohemian Grove, which their worship is the owl. And within Masonry and, and Rosicrucianism, King Solomon is like, is really high up there with one of their one of the people that they respect i mean solomonic magic is is literally riddled throughout like i said earlier like within the, the pope the the papal coat of arms like it is the the seal of solomon so the owl blood was interesting and man there's just so much in that book like i really i hope that everybody gets it and reads it and we can all talk about it again because this shit has just blown my mind uh what well, one last thing for me and and that's uh in like my research lately of the tribe of Dan and stuff and, and that connects how that connects into the to a data Dan. Uh there was it was said that there was a group of them called the Hushim and then another group called the Shuham. Um and it seemed like they're using it almost like him and her or his and hers. Uh I thought it was interesting because if you put Hoos and Shua two together what what does it sound like? Hushua. Mm, oh, Yeshua. Yeshua. Yeah, there we go. Like nice, nice. Yeshua. I'm not wearing any shoes. I'm barefoot. <laughs> Yeshua. <laughs> We're on holy ground tonight. As as well, so, so is Robin. No Actually, shoes. wait, wait. I'm not. Check <laughs> it out. I'm wearing my bare slippers. Wearing his bare feet. <laughs> He's got his bare feet on. He still has bare feet on though. <laughs> He's barefooted. All righty. Well, this has been uh, epic, dude. Uh, you guys are. Oh, sorry, Andy. Didn't mean to interrupt you, brother. I got a quick thing. I'm gonna do another little druidic magic magic spell. We got hit it up. Quick thing. Cool. All right. So they use stones, as we mentioned earlier, for druidic magic, and they put themselves in a circle of stones to demarcate and protect their sacred space for spell casting. Now, as the stones are used in ritual practice, they become enchanted, and sometimes they directly enchant them, which is encouraged. But the stones all take represent a different station in the Wheel of Life, and each of them has a deity, color, emblem, seasonal, calendar, day associated with each stone. So the stones must be washed in fresh running water and then placed in the sun for at least an hour after they're washed. Um, next, you mark the stone with the emblem of the station, dedicating and enchanting the stone to its station in a grove ritual, uh, in the Druidic grove. So the sphere of protection, uh, a fundamental part of any Druidic spell, uh, is to do three things. You want to uh, have an opening, middle, and closing part to your spell. The first one is the elemental cross, which brings into balance the at the center of the world, the practitioner. The second is the calling of the elements, which invokes the elements um, being earth, water, fire, and air, as well as spirit below, above, and in. And then we have a closing one, which is the circulation of light. The golden sphere of protection is visualized as spinning around the practitioner. And once it becomes uh, an, an infinite speed, the, dru the druid will be left in perfect meditative um, stillness and completion. And their intentions will be turned into a reality. 
Um, so when they create the elemental cross in the first part of the, of the spell, they'll be using um, gesture, voice, imagination, and intention. And then they're deliberately moving energies um, to make those um, intentions materialize, crystallize. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Um, um, and, and, sorry. And, and looking at this right here, it seems as though uh, these are almost like the schematics again. Uh, I'm seeing like schematics here. And when we're talking earlier about the, the keys of Solomon, uh, you have the demonic and the angel. So you have the angel class and the demonic class, and that gives you ACDC, your alternating current and direct current. Whoa. Nice. That's actually a great point. Yeah, the negative and positive sort of working together to mm -hmm. yeah. create something. Yeah, those symbols of the Lesser Solomon sigils, symbols, remind me of these symbols in a movie called Tinker where they're trying to figure out these electrical currents to create Tesla energy that's uh, going to be on a loop and then boost. Um, What's the like, name of the movie? Called Tinker. And it's actually fascinating. They, they're creating this energy so that the plants will grow like 10 times faster because the soil has been so depleted and stuff. It takes place like present day, near future. Wow. Cool movie, dude. I'm going to have to watch that one. I like that. Yeah, I think you love it. It's really cool. The little symbols nice, are, man. look like the, the sigils kind of. I, th I think that's it too. I mean, like, you know, we don't have time to get into the, the Tesla situation and stuff, but you know, um, I think, I think you're right. There's a lot, there's a lot of electrical incantations, like, like, gosh, it's so deep. I can't even, I can't even really get into it. We're going to have, we're going to have to touch up on that because I personally have to get to work. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> today's one of our final days of the, yeah. of, of harvest and trim. But, uh, if you guys want to keep going, you're more than, I'll, I can gladly keep the stream up. Uh, but I gotta get going so too. Much to tie this has been great. I gotta go yeah. too. Yeah, I guess okay, we well, can... leave them wanting more. We'll do another one for oh. sure. Yes, oh. yes. If that's the case, let's close out. Um, but you guys stick around for just like a couple minutes after we end the broadcast so then I can get all of the recordings to finish up and uh, all that fun that stuff. Sounds good. <laughs> all right. Thank you guys, everybody. Thank you guys so much. Uh, of course. Thanks, everyone. Fantastic weave. And yeah, do final plugs, all that stuff, uh, starting with our brother, Alan. Here we go ellenmarcus.com it's a real web page there's some fun internet wizardry happening with some fun gifts if you scroll down you'll see the uh, nft i made but i gave it away for free it has the papal imagery that you'll see if you scroll to the bottom of the page check it out all right indie sage check me out at five tribescribe.wordpress.com to check out my blog indie, indie sage on facebook and raw sentinel on Instagram. Hit me up. And, and I am Nomad. You can find me at nomad.art, also a website. That's G-N-O-M-A-D dot art. And yeah, reach out. Love to chat with all of you. Yeah, uh, thank you for everybody who was watching today. And uh, to remember to tune in on Sundays for the Slow Burn. Uh, we'll have to shout it out on the on the show, too. Uh, we haven't been able to uh, put these into audio uh, just for uh, configuration, blah, blah, blah purposes. It's been a pain in the ass because uh, we <laughs> both live out in the middle of nowhere. So to like download these episodes and try to convert them 
takes hours upon hours and doesn't always work. Uh, so once we find a better way to do it, we will try to put these up on the main feed uh, as we intended to do. But unfortunately, we haven't been able to have very much luck with that. So you'll have to check them out on YouTube. And uh, other than that, uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Until next time, wake, wake up. up. Uh, uh.